Hey, welcome to the Kenyan Church Podcast. We're so glad you could join us. You're listening to part nine of our series in the book of Galatians. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, sit back, relax. Here it is. If you guys uh, are new or visiting today, my name is Harrison. I'm the pastor here. And uh, we have been in a series going through the book of Galatians. Come on, somebody. How many of you guys have been here for this series? Anyone? So good. Uh, Everyone that is here for the first time, do not fret, do not worry. It is all going to make sense. So I usually read an opening passage of Scripture, and I allow you guys to, uh, I don't allow you, I encourage you guys to stand up. Um, I'm allowing you guys to sit down today because I have a long passage of Scripture. I'm going to read it, and um, at certain points, I think I'll probably preach at some point today, but I'm going to spend a large portion teaching today. Is that okay? So... um, I'm allowing you guys to sit, so if you have like your Bible or the Bible app, I want you guys to just uh, be here with me in Galatians chapter 4. For those of you guys, uh, again, that have been with us, you'll kind of know the the meta-narrative of Galatians, this whole um, idea of uh, trying to come under the law and Paul saying, hey, we don't need to live under the law, we live under grace. That's kind of been the big conflict. Paul is going to mention that conflict, and he's also going to go back all the way to the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. He's going to reference the story, and if you do not know this story, don't worry. Um, My job today is to make it all make sense. Sound good? Galatians chapter 4, Paul says, tell me. You who want to live under the law, do you even know what the law says? I love that line. Y'all even know what it says, what you're actually talking about? The scriptures say that Abraham, we're in Genesis now, had two sons, one from his slave wife and one from his freeborn wife. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. But the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. These two women serve as an illustration of God's two covenants. The first covenant and the first woman, I should say, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai, where the people received the law that enslaved them. Talking about the Ten Commandments. And now, Jerusalem is like Mount Sinai in Arabia because she and her children are in slavery to the law. But the other woman, Sarah, represents the heavenly Jerusalem. She is the free woman, and she is our mother. And you, dear brothers and sisters, I skipped verse 27 to verse 28, um, are children of the promise, just like Isaac. But now you're being persecuted by those who want you to keep the law, just as Ishmael, the child born by human efforts, persecuted Isaac, the child born by the power of the Spirit. But what do the scriptures say about that? Get rid of the slave. And her son, for the son of the slave woman will not share the inheritance with the free woman's son. So you, dear brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman. We, someone shout, we are children of the free woman. Come on, somebody. Uh, I want to call our message this morning, our best versus God's best. Uh, As you guys can see, that would have been a long passage of scripture to to stand up for. So... um, This series, man, I hope has been really rich for you guys. Uh, Next week, we're going to still be in this series. And next week, I'm super excited because next week, this becomes the longest series in Kingdom Church history. Come on. So that's next week. That's that's part 10 next week. Um, But we're in part nine today. And I really really hope, um, for those of you guys that have been here, you guys have seen just how rich Scripture is. 
and how much you can extract and pull out of it. And so um, I, I say that all to say, how many guys in this room, you guys have ever heard this charge and maybe you've made it or maybe someone has said it towards you, but have you guys ever heard the thought or the rhetoric that basically says, um, the Bible is old, therefore it's irrelevant. Anyone ever heard that? Like, how can you base your life around something so old? It is so outdated. Oh, you still follow the Bible? That's thousands and thousands of years old. You guys ever heard that before? Maybe you guys have thought that before. Like, how could something so old um, actually be relevant today? Or maybe you're in a place where, like, the Bible is old, therefore it is, it is irrelevant. Now, um, this whole idea about the Bible being old, therefore it, it being irrelevant, um, is what is called a logical fallacy. I told you guys I'm teaching today. So you guys ready? So a logical fallacy is an error in your reasoning that will undermine the very logic of your argument. In other words, a logical fallacy is simply this. You say something that you are, are, are hoping will actually um, strengthen your argument, but in reality, it actually weakens your argument. That is what a logical fallacy is. And so what I am saying is the idea of the Bible being old, therefore being irrelevant, is a logical fallacy. Because it is not true that things that are old are therefore irrelevant. Where are my old people at today? <laughs> now, there, there are times, like, in life where things are old and therefore they are irrelevant. Like, if you got a flip phone still, like, it's time to move on. <laughs> like, it's time, like, get an iPhone. Uh, but uh, in the case of the Bible, it is a logical fallacy to believe that an ancient document that is literally thousands of years old, that although it is around today, it is irrelevant. And the reason it is illogical is because simply this, the question we should be asking is not even this idea of like, is the Bible relevant? But we should more so be asking ourselves, how can something so old be used and followed by so many people today? Why are there millions, scratch that, billions of people that would profess to be Bible-believing people? Not just today, but over the last thousands and thousands of years, there are people that have literally built their lives around the Bible, died for the Bible, and it is still here today. And so the question we should really be asking again is why is something so old still so relevant? You see, the truth is this. Old things that are irrelevant do not pass the test of time. But old things that are relevant and still used today are relevant because, generally speaking, they are timeless. You see, for example, one of the things you guys probably understand is that we don't really talk a whole lot about Greek religion. We don't talk about Egyptian religion. We don't talk about Babylonian religion. And the truth is, we don't even call it Greek religion or Babylonian religion um, we use a different word. We call it Greek mythology, Babylonian mythology, Egyptian mythology. Because over the test of time, these things have been proven not to be true. If you're wondering what Greeks believe now, like what is Greek religion? Christianity. Come on, somebody. So, um, again, the fallacy is to believe because something is old, it is irrelevant if it's still being used today. When I think the truth is more so, generally speaking, things that pass the test of time should, in some sense, cause us to question why is it so um, important today still to so many people. So I say all that to say, I believe that the Bible is true and I believe the Bible is relevant even today. And um, today what I want to show you um, is why I think that the Bible passes um, really this test of time. And I think that the reason it passes the test of time is one thing and one thing only, it is true.
I believe is true. I believe that the Bible is the word of God. Call me old-fashioned. Um, I believe that God inspired people thousands of years ago, and it is literally his written word. And it has the power to change our lives. And um, all that to say, I just read a really long passage of scripture. And as I read it, maybe there are people, as I was going through it, you're like, Harrison, you're proving my point. This is old. This is irrelevant. I don't know what you're saying. What is a Hagar? <laughs> what? I'm going to do today is I'm going to hopefully make it make sense. We have um, in, in our church um, kind of our culture that we go by, and one of the main things that we have when it comes to kingdom culture is this idea of accessibility. We want anyone, anytime, any place to be able to come into here and understand and experience Jesus. And so um, my job, first and foremost, is to make it make sense. But I want you to understand, and the kind of the language that we use when it comes to our church is we say we want to be a church where people that who would not normally go to church would want to come to church because something is happening here. Um, and one of the things happening is that it makes sense. Now, I just have this, this deep thing in me that when I exegete and preach the word of Jesus, I want it to make sense. If it doesn't make sense, I'm actually wasting my time. Now, what you need to understand is that I am not alone uh, in this thought process. I want to speak plainly, clearly. I want everything to make sense to our hearers. This is actually how specifically the New Testament was written. Jesus, when he spoke, he wanted to make sense. Paul, when he spoke, he wanted it to make sense. Peter, so on and so forth. And so what you need to understand is that most of what they spoke would have been so plain and so relevant, it wouldn't have needed explanation. But what we need to understand is that we are now some 2,000 years disconnected from that time. And so a lot of the times, um, the things that were plain and relevant to them are kind of shaded to us. Does that make sense? It's kind of like um, if I you know, have the pleasure in like 100 years where someone still wants to listen to me, um, they might go onto YouTube one day, head on to Kingdom Church, and watch an old sermon from 2022 in 2100, 21, whenever... Whenever 100 years is from now, 2122. Anyways, thank you, Audrey. Appreciate that. Um, point being, 100 years from now, there are things that I speak plainly today that won't necessarily make plain sense then. Like, I talk about cancel culture, COVID. I'll talk about, like, Elon Musk buying Twitter. And, like, today, everyone knows what I'm talking about. In 100 years, they might be like, what's a Twitter? Right? And so our job, when we go back to the Bible, is to understand sometimes they speak plainly in a way that people would understand that might not be plain to us. But why the Bible is relevant and why the Bible is still read, died for, believed today is because despite the fact that there's sometimes shaded meanings or understandings, there are principles that are tried and true and timeless. And so what I want us to do today is I want us to show the principles that literally not just from 2,000 year years ago in Galatians, but we're going to go 4,000 years back to the book of Genesis. And I want to pull out principles that I believe are tried and true that spoke to people 4,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, and will speak to us today. And really, I'm going to look at two things. Number one, the grace of God is so good, but the grace of God is so hard for us to believe. Those are kind of the two things that I want to look um, at today. And because the grace of God is hard to believe, a lot of times we try to exercise more and more control. So if you were here last week, this is kind of a part two. So uh, Galatians, again, if you guys don't know, um, it's kind of been built around this whole conflict. Paul is, is writing to a church, and this church is in conflict. There's the Jewish people and the Gentiles. The Jews are Jewish. The Gentiles are anyone that is non-Jewish. 
And basically this whole idea is like, hey, do we need to follow the Jewish law as we come to Christ or not? Paul has been emphatic, you do not. The Jews are saying, yes, you do. That's the context, and I'm gonna break out um, today what Paul says, and Paul's gonna go back to Genesis to show us beneath this conflict, there's a bigger conflict, and it's not a new conflict. So Galatians chapter four, just read one verse, and I'll explain a little bit. So Paul says again, he says, tell me, you who want to live under the law, do you know what the law actually says? The scriptures say that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife and one from his freeborn wife. So as Paul is looking at this conflict, one of the very first things that he does is he references a story that each and every one of them would know. He does not preface it. He does not say, turn with me to the scroll of Genesis. He literally just assumes that they would know it. Now, I know there are people here today that you may know the story. Um, Others of you, you may not know the story. So the story that he is referencing is the story of Abraham. And I'm going to break it down, but I first want us to understand some timelines because I think it's kind of cool because it's really going to show how just relevant the Bible is. So the Abraham story in the book of Genesis, if you have a Bible, it's the first book of the Bible, takes place roughly 2090 B.C. If you can go back that far before Christ. The Galatians conflict takes place about 50 A.D. All or Nothing Part 9, Kingdom Church, April 2022. This is is the three worlds we're going to live in today. We're going to be in 2000 BC, 50 AD, and 2022 AD. Sound good? Now, what Paul is going to show us is how the Abraham story is relevant to the conflict they are dealing with today. And the reason that's important is kind of this main theme that he's been going through is that God does not change. The way in which God deals with us is the same. He has always been a God of grace. Law comes second, grace comes first. And so um, what we're going to see, again, is that the Abraham story is relevant for the Galatians conflict. I'm going to show us that the Galatians conflict and the Abraham story are relevant for all of us today. Simple, small task. You guys ready to go? So I want to make, obviously, make sure that the Abraham story makes sense. If you were here like three, four weeks ago, we kind of hit on it, but I'm going to hit on it again. So Abraham is a man. Uh, God calls him in Genesis chapter 12 to leave his country, and then God makes him a big promise. Genesis chapter 12, first book of the Bible. He says to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all, someone underline that in their Bible, all people on earth will be blessed through you. This is a gigantic, humongous promise. Literally, hey, Abraham, I'm going to bless the whole world through your descendants. Now, some of you guys are asking, wow, like Abraham must have been a pretty distinguished guy. Like what did he do in order to get this promise? Pretty simple, nothing. God chose him because he wanted to. Abraham was not some devout, faithful man. He was a dude that literally most likely worshiped other gods. God says, hey, guess what? You're gonna worship me and I'm gonna bless the whole world through you. Huge promise, unconditional promise. Unconditional meaning there is nowhere in here where he says, if you do anything, um, it's not going to come to pass. Unconditional meaning like, I will bless the whole world through you no matter what. So there's a conflict though. Abraham is an old man. Uh, He's in his 90s. His wife Sarah is in her 80s. Now Sarah during her prime years was unable to conceive. She's now an old woman 
They like to play card games, things like that. <laughs> um, she can't have kids. And so God makes this promise, you need to understand, I'm going to bless the whole world through your seed, through your kids. They could not have kids in the good times, so they're probably thinking to themselves, how can we have kids now that we're senior citizens and get discounts at Denny's? Like, how's it, like, how's this going to happen? And um, the question I think a lot of us should ask is, like, if God's going to make this huge promise, like, why didn't he go to Abraham when he was, like, 30? Would have been a whole lot better. Um, but I think the answer is quite simple. Uh, God makes a promise that if it were to come to pass, it was so outrageous, so outlandish, there was no one other than God that could get the credit. And that's a theme that we've seen is that sometimes God takes lowly things, unthinkable things, things that we would not even understand in order to shame our wisdom. When God called me into ministry, I had read the book of Proverbs. That's it. God says, you're going to be a pastor. I'm like, I haven't read the Bible. Um, but God does that so he can get the credit. When one day I'm preaching the Bible that when God called me, I had never even read. So that's just kind of how he rolls. Um, but it's amazing. It sounds good. Uh, but then there's the human aspect. God makes these huge promises, and I believe today for us in this room, God has promised you things. God has promised us peace. God has promised us a hope and a future, and, and sometimes life doesn't look like the promise of God. And when life does not look like the promise of God, what happens is we try to take things into our own hands, and that's what we see um, in the story. So a few years go by, God's promise is made, but Sarah does not have children. So Genesis 16, chapter 1, it says, Now Sarai, because her name gets changed to Sarah later, long story, um, Abram as well. Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abraham, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go and sleep with my slave. Perhaps... I can build a family through her. So Sarah, kind of old, has this young Egyptian slave. And so she says to Abraham, hey, you see my young slave over there? Um, why don't you go have a kid with her? Abraham, the old man, uh, one of the funniest verses in scripture, he says, okay. <laughs> if I must. Abram agreed to what Sarah said. And so Abraham sleeps with, Sarah, or with Hagar and um, Hagar gets pregnant. Now, how the story goes, um, you can probably guess it. It was not all rainbows and butterflies. Pretty well the moment that Hagar gets pregnant, um, Hagar begins to mistreat Sarah, kind of flexing on her. Hey, my womb is fertile. Yours is not. Um, just, just kind of in conflict. She has a son named Ishmael. Ishmael is born, and the conflict persists. Sarah begins to despise Hagar, and it's just one big dysfunctional family. And what happens a lot of times, you need to understand, there's kind of a thread I want us to see, and Paul's going to bring it together as we get back to Galatians, um, is God makes a promise, we can't believe it, and so we take matters into our own hands. You guys understand that? And what we see in Genesis is just one big dysfunctional family. Now, I want us to understand the whole story, because before we get to Galatians, we need to understand the whole story. You see... When God makes an unconditional promise, what that means is no matter what we do, it will still come to pass. And so God has still made a promise. He's going to bless the whole world through Abraham. And so God comes to Abraham about 10 years later. Abraham's 99 years old. Sarah's 90 years old-ish. And he says, hey, guess what? The promise still stands. You're going to have a son through Sarah. Abraham laughs. 
few chapters later, an angel tells Sarah, Sarah laughs. One of my favorite exchanges in scripture, the person says, hey, did you laugh? And Sarah says, no, I didn't. And he says, yes, you did. <laughs> it's in the Bible. I love that part. It just makes me laugh. Like, no, you didn't. Yes, I did. I know you did. Because um, they can't believe it. Like, they're old, older. They were old before. They're older now. Abraham is pushing 100. Sarah's 90. She gets pregnant. And what happens is she has this son named Isaac. And Isaac eventually has a son. Uh, well, he's twins. Come on, somebody. Um, <laughs> Jacob and Esau. And uh, Jacob becomes Israel eventually. Israel becomes this great nation. Go through people, David and Solomon, so on and so forth. And eventually we get to Jesus. And Jesus comes literally through Isaac, the promise to bless the entire world. Because when God makes a promise, it's going to come to pass. Now, I want us to understand, though, all four characters because the story still is not all rainbows and butterflies. We have Sarah and Hagar, Ishmael and Isaac. Make sense? Everyone following? And so what you need to understand is that Ishmael and Isaac, there's kind of some beef. It doesn't go well. And a lot of the beef stems from their mother's beef, and that's kind of how it goes sometimes. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like it's generational kind of thing. Um, and so what happens eventually is that Sarah literally says to Abraham, and it's kind of a really sad story when you read it. He says, hey, uh, you know Hagar, you know your son Ishmael, you got to get rid of them. They got to go. And um, Abraham sends them away, and it's, it's kind of sad. But what's cool about God is that God has a heart for the lowly. And even when we mess up and we do things, maybe even immoral things, um, God still has a heart for all people, no matter what. And God makes a promise to Ishmael. And he says to Ishmael, hey, like, your promise is different than Abraham. Like, the whole world's not going to be blessed through you, but I'm going to make you a great nation. And if you guys do not know this, um, today, modern, like, Arabia and really Muslims, um, they come from the line of Ishmael. Now, what's interesting about this is that Jewish people come from the line of Isaac. If you do not know this, Muslims and Jews are still in conflict today. And their conflict stems literally from Abraham's little escapade. 4,000 years ago. Just the more you know, right? Kind of interesting. Um, so again, this story, there's this big dichotomy, this big, um, just two different opposing things. We see God's way and we see our way. What happens when we do things our way as opposed to God's way? And so this is where Paul is going to bring it back in Galatians. Everyone with me? So again, he says, tell me, those of you who want to live under the law, do you know what the law actually says? The scriptures say Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife, one from his freeborn wife. The slave's wife, Hagar, the son was born in a human attempt. This is so big. It was a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. That, that was them not trusting that all you have to do is believe. He says, but the son of the freeborn wife was God's own fulfillment of his promise. When God makes a promise, he will not let you down. He won't. That's the song we sang today, in case you guys didn't know. Amy sings it better than I do. Um, he says, these two women serve as an illustration of God's two covenants. The first woman, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai. This is back to Exodus 20. Mount Sinai is where Moses gets the Ten Commandments. He says, Moses received the law, the law that underlined this enslaved them. Enslaved them. 
Now Jerusalem, this is the modern day Jewish people, he says they are like Mount Sinai because they and their children are living in slavery to the law. But the other woman, Sarah, represents the heavenly Jerusalem. She is the free woman. She is our mother. So we have this dichotomy here. I want us to understand it. Hagar is a representation of the law. And the law is a representation of human effort. Whereas he says, Sarah represents grace. And Sarah is a representation of the divine promise. So what we see is this idea littered throughout the Old Testament, the New Testament, and we see it today. There is one constant stream that holds us back from experiencing all that God has for us. We struggle to accept and believe the promises of God. Super simple. Here's the conflict. Here's the struggle. It's hard to trust God. It's hard to trust God. Because you guys ever done a trust fall before? You remember those things like summer camp? Like, hey, let's all love each other. Just trust fall real quick. Um, This will solve all of our problems. In order to trust, you have to let go. And God calls us to trust. And the whole idea of salvation, salvation being found literally by grace through faith, we have to trust. We have to trust that there is nothing that we can do, nothing that we need to do in order to attain salvation. Jesus has done it all, but the struggle is as old as time. And truly, reason being, and I talked about this last week, that's why I said this is kind of like part two, but I really felt like God say, hey, I don't think we're done yet with this whole idea of we want control. We want control. I said, God, I preached this already. He's like, I'm not done. We want control. At the very end of the day, This is the human condition. We do not want to trust. We want control. One of the reasons our hearts, we've talked about this for nine, ten weeks, one of the reasons we want to come under the law is because the law makes things easier for us. Because if I follow a certain set of rules, then I can know exactly where I stand with God. I don't have to live in this gray zone of just believing by faith. Like, I just got to get circumcised and I'm good. Just got to avoid certain foods and I'm good. It's because we want control. At the very end of the day, all of us crave control. I don't need us to raise our hands because I know it to be true. Every single one of us in this room, we want some semblance of control. I love control. I'm, I'm beginning to realize it more and more. I love control. In fact, I've, 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 I've built my life around this idea for control. Um, just in, in my routines, in, in the fact that like, I'm the top of the organizational food chain here at Kingdom Church. Um, there's just, there's just, I, just, I like control. And, and one of the reasons it's really showing up is like um, in our family. Um, I, I like to, to structure everything so we have control. Christy and my, my, my wife were kind of similar in that. We like control. And so we have uh, three kids now uh, and two twin girls. And like literally since they were born, like Christy was on them, like give them a schedule, give them a schedule, give them a schedule. And like we both loved it because it gives us control. We know what's next, how we want to do things. Um, then like the girls turned like two and, and really like in the last couple months, even more so, and they began to realize crazy that they are autonomous human beings. <laughs> and it's really rubbed me the wrong way. <laughs> because I want to control them, right? And so like one, one of the things now is they've decided they don't like to sleep, um, which is, has been something uh, of an issue. And... Uh, so it's, it's just been a whole lot of adjusting. And, and Christy, my wife, like, she, she's better at it than I am. Like, she, she wants control, but she can kind of let go better than me. It takes me a while. And um, what I talked about last year or last week 
is that what happens is like if you have a plan that you believe that things must go, although plans sound great, you will often become a prisoner to your own plan. Because you're stuck in this place where you thought this is how things should be, but they're not going how I want them to be. And what I've realized, and, and again, Christy realized faster, was like, when it comes to the girls napping, I just have to give up control. Because if I believe it must happen, I'm going to be disappointed every single time it doesn't happen. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? And for a lot of us, we built our life in such a way where it's like, man, I have this plan for how things must go. And we become a prison to it. We become slaves to our timeline, slaves to how we think things should be. Proverbs 16 says it like this. I love it. It says, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. See, this is the ideal, though, because we all say amen, right? We can make our plans, amen, but the Lord determines, yes, Jesus, yes, um, until it hits, until it's reality where things aren't going how you wanted them to go, right? Talked about you're at, a, you're at a certain age, and like you didn't think you'd be here at that age. You thought you'd be further along. Maybe you didn't think you'd be this far by now. And you have this plan, and they become prisons. And what happens is that when our life does not look the way we want it to look, we get desperate. And this is what we see in the Abraham and Sarah story. God makes them a promise. The promise doesn't come to pass in their timeline how they want it, and so they become desperate. And my, my wife, Christy, I mentioned her briefly. Um, she preached, actually, uh, couple summers ago, and she said something, and I referenced it to her this week. Um, she, I said, um, and I'm going to say it today, but she said it first, um, when things don't go our way, we get desperate, and then desperation becomes our downfall. And I shared that with her, and I was like, you know who said that? And she's like, and she's like is it a book you're reading? <laughs> I'm like, you said it two years ago. How many of you guys wanted to preach again? Yeah. Okay, come babysit. Um, <laughs> but what happens when things don't go our way when our plan does not go according to our plan and our ways we get desperate and then desperation becomes our downfall because we are so one tracked so one minded into how things are supposed to be that we're willing to compromise the way in which God wants things to look so I just, I just kind of want us to understand it like this the very best that we can do pales in comparison to what God will do. I'm saying don't let desperation become your downfall because the very best that we can do always pales in comparison to what God will do. Now listen, a couple of you guys have been like, Harrison, like, are we going to do a relationship series? Like, We haven't done one yet. Um, we're in Galatians, so stop complaining. But uh, I'm going to give us some relational advice for just a second. Can I do that? You guys okay with that? A lot of young people here today. I mean, everyone needs relationship advice. Um, but in the realm of relationships, um, the reason that we get into bad places time and time again, I would say 99% of the time, especially when you're single, is desperation. It's desperation. And then desperation becomes your downfall because one of two things happen when you're desperate. When you're desperate, especially in the context of relationships, you begin to have no standards. See, if you didn't know this, I'm going to let you in on something. Um, God has not promised you a husband and or a wife. You might want one, 
cool to have one, but there's no, there's no direct promise. And maybe you got a word from the Lord, sure. But in general, there's no, there's no guarantee. But for some of us, we live in such a way where it must happen. It will happen. It is my God-given right, Jesus. <laughs> and what happens, again, is as life goes on, and it doesn't have to be like you're 35 because you can be desperate at 18. You live in such a way where that desperation becomes your downfall. And one of the ways you see it over and over again is that people begin to have no standards. Because they say to themselves, man, I just, I just need someone. Just give me someone. Just give me a pulse. <laughs> and we get desperate. And we end up going into things where we don't necessarily think in the long term. Sarah didn't think long term. She's like, hey, just... Just take Hagar, sure, let's just get this promise done with. But she didn't think about the dysfunction to follow. And for a lot of us, we get into relationships, and there's a whole lot of red flags, but we don't think about the future because we're desperate. And so it's like, yeah, I know we have differences. Yeah, I know we don't even believe the same thing, but, like, it'll work out. It'll all work out. I think Sarah was like, hey, you know what? It's just going to work out. It's going to work out some way, somehow. Um, But here we are 4,000 years later, and the seeds of Ishmael and Isaac are still beefing didn't really work out too well. And so we get desperate. But here's the other way, and I want to talk about this as well in the context of relationships. Um, Some of us get desperate, and then for others of us, we actually go to a place where we put impossibly high standards on people. You're like, wait a second, Harrison. Like, can my standards be too high? Yes. Because if you're looking for a partner, man or woman, that you're hoping will complete you, give you joy, give you peace, give you purpose, I'm going to tell you something. That person already came. His name is Jesus. And for a lot of us, you may not know this, um, but the person that you're looking for romantically, you will not find because that person is Jesus. And one of the reasons that so many of us will self-sabotage our relationships is because the person you are looking for will never be found. And so no one is good enough. And so really what it is, though, you don't know it. It's just, again, this need for you to control because you have a plan and a picture. But many times God is just trying to get us to seize control. You see, for Paul in Galatians, as he references this story, he wants the church to look inward. And he wants them to understand, listen, you so badly want to control God. That is why you're so desperate to keep the law. But what happens? Look at the fruit of what happens when you want control as opposed to letting God be in control. Now, for myself, as I said, like... um, I am someone that likes control. I want control. But I've also found that God oftentimes leads me in ways and places um, where I actually have to lose control. And um, I kind of made a joke about, you know, being the the pastor of the church and how that gives me control. But one of the reasons, like when we started this church, um, although it gives me a a semblance of control, I actually lost a lot of control because I lost, like, job security. I didn't know what was going to happen. Like, are we going to die? Like, what? And so it's just like we just trust God. And so God calls us times to take leaps of faith in order that we can build trust. Now, one, one of the areas right now that I feel like God is stretching me, um, if you guys don't know, we're kind of in the midst of a church building project. We're uh, renovating a new space, going to have a new church home in a couple of months. Come on, somebody. And, man, I just, I just believe um, in faith, not in feeling, that um, God is going to do amazing things in this place. 
I believe that people are going to come to faith. I believe that those we've been praying for in this space, this is the home. These are the four walls that are going to come to know Jesus. And I just believe that God is going to do a mighty, mighty work. But I said I believe it in faith. I don't believe it in feeling. Can I tell you what I believe in feeling sometimes? Can I just be honest? Sometimes when I think about the church building, um, I think about it kind of like an anchor. That like we're going into it, it's kind of expensive to build it. Our rent's going to be a little bit more expensive. And and so I have thoughts sometimes like, man, we've made this decision and I'm going to anchor the church. And like it's never going to get built. Um, We're never going to be able to afford it. And the church is going to die. And then I'm going to go work. I don't know where. All because of this decision. Can I just be honest? That's what I feel sometimes. You guys ever live in that dichotomy between like faith and feeling? It's like I know things in faith, but like here's what I feel. And um, I was praying this week, and it was funny. I just felt the Holy Spirit speak to me and just, like, my, my worries, anxieties. And he just said, Harrison, he said, like, literally, um, just, like, write down your worst fear. Like, what are you actually afraid of in this moment? And I'm kind of telling you, like, some of the stuff I wrote down. <laughs> like, I killed the church. Um, <laughs> and I just, I just began to wrote, write these things down. Um, and as I was going through it, I just, I just felt the Holy Spirit um, just speak to me, and I went through this list, because again, this isn't my first rodeo. I followed God into ministry. I followed God starting this church, and, and I followed God before. I've done things before, and I was going through this list, going through my fears. I just felt the Holy Spirit say to me, he said, Harrison, have any of these things ever happened to you as you have followed me? And I said, no. And then he said, it's not going to happen now. It's not going to start now. And in fact, come on, somebody. I had to write this down. I wrote it down. Um, I wrote two things down. I wrote, our church, this is upon reflection, is disproportionately blessed. I wrote, I am disproportionately blessed. Listen, y'all, the very first time Christy and I tried to have kids, we didn't have one kid. We, have two. we had two. I'm, I'm disproportionately blessed. God, just like God says, like, go upstairs. You know those kids that aren't sleeping? Go look at them, right? Like, I, I, I do more than you're ready for. And I do more than you believe. Why? So I can get all the credit. That's just how God rolls. So I, I want us to understand something. Faith always looks clearer in reverse. It looks clearer in reverse. I'm going to tell this story in four years with great faith. But the feelings are what I'm feeling right now. And one of the beauties of why we share stories and one of the ways and one of the reasons that Paul is getting the church in Galatia to look back to the story of Abraham. He's saying, listen, 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 listen. Faith looks clearer in reverse. Forget the feelings. Forget the hard things. Look what happened. God made a promise and it came to pass. God's a God of grace. That's how he's always worked. Live by faith. Believe it now. Your best doesn't work. Our best pales in comparison to God's best. What God wants to do in your life is nothing compared to what he is going to do. And so Paul says, listen, verse 28, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, you are children of the promise, just like Isaac. Listen, you come from the line of Isaac. You come from a a legacy of great faith. Listen, this church, you're sitting in this place. If you do not know this, this thing was crafted and I believe dropped in my spirit by God, but this place is a miracle. 
There's no guarantee that we're alive four years later, but here we are. And so as we sit in this place and as we go forward in grace, we look back and we realize God has been faithful then. He's going to be faithful now. We're children of the promise. I'm a children of the, I'm a child of the promise. God's taking care of me then. He's going to take care of me now. And he says, but now you're being persecuted by those who want you to keep the law, just as Ishmael was persecuting Isaac. So there's this persecution that exists. And what that persecution is, and I'll get to the Galatians context in a second, but in our life, this persecution many times is just our feelings. It is the circumstances that we go through that say, hey man, like God is not going to come through. It's not going to work out for you. You're not good enough. God is going to find someone better. God's going to find someone more qualified. God is going to use, find, develop, build someone else. God doesn't need you. Listen, in the name of Jesus, God does not need you, but God chooses you. And so this war exists within us. Where do I live by faith or do I try to control? Do I try to control? Do I try to be better, look better, do better? Or do I just, just say, man, I'm, I'm a child of the promise. I love what he says. He says, look what scripture says. Get rid of the slave. For the slave woman will not share with the inheritance of the free. Dear brothers and sisters, we're not children of the slave. We're children of the free. So I, I want to say something today in the name of Jesus. I want to say, get rid of the slave. Now, there are people in this place, the slave looks different for, for you for different reasons. For some of us, the slave is that nagging voice in your head that says you're unqualified, not good enough, too far gone, immoral, whatever it is. Today, Jesus says, get rid of that. Get rid of it. It's time to live by faith because your best pales in comparison to my best. Now, in the context of Galatians, in the context of this whole book that we've been going through, this idea of law versus grace, there are people here in this room today and you were enslaved by the law. And what that means is you believe no matter what this says, there is something inside of you that my faithfulness to the law, to the precepts of God, depends on his faithfulness back to me. In other words, I have to follow these things in order to be saved, in order to be approved. I have to come under the law. And if that is you today, I'm here to say in the name of Jesus, he who knew no sin became sin so that you could become the righteousness of Christ. Jesus was the perfect law keeper, so you don't have to come under the law because he redeemed you from the law. And so I say, if you have that mindset, that religious mindset, that religious spirit, today is the day that you throw out the slave. It's time to throw out the slave. That's a better title for this sermon, throw out the slave. Get rid of the slave, get rid of the mindset, get rid of the negative talk. It's time to live in the gospel of Jesus. Now, some of us are saying, man, like I'm in this place right now where like I just, I just, I'm in that in-between. Amy in worship talked about the in-between. Like I'm in the in-between where like I get the promise, but my feelings are just so strong. I just, I just don't know if I'm ever going to get to that place where, where Jesus can use me, where I can understand God's love. Like Harrison, what's taking so long? I'm waiting for a breakthrough. When's my breakthrough? Listen, today's your breakthrough. Today is the day. I love Romans chapter 5. And I want to pray this and I want to preach this over someone that's hoping for something, that's looking for breakthrough today, that's looking for a new mindset today. Paul says, hope does not disappoint because God has poured out his love onto our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Look at this. For at just the right time, just the right time, 
just the right time. You want to know God's time? It's the right time. It's always the right time. Whatever you're waiting for, when's it going to happen? The right time. Jesus came at the right time. While we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly at just the right time. Listen, today is the right time to say, Jesus, I'm, I'm seizing. I'm, I'm, get, I'm getting rid of control. I'm getting rid of being dominated by fear, dominated by my feelings. I belong to you, Jesus. I want us to just stand for a moment. Because I just believe today that something's been released in this place. And if you want to say, Jesus, like last week was a start maybe for some of us. Like last week was a start. Like I started to give up control, but like t- t- today's the day I'm really giving it up. I want to live in your promise. I want to live in your grace. I want to just believe Jesus. If that's just you today, every head bowed, every eye closed, I just, just show me your hand. I would love to pray for you. Just saying, Jesus, I want to just give you control. I'm done with my way. I want to go your way. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Come on, somebody. Today is the day. This is the moment. Salvation has come to this house. Jesus, I declare in your name that those chains that have been holding us back, the chains of religion, the chains of negativity, the chains of delusion, that we can be in control, that we will guide our steps. God, I pray today in the name of Jesus that you break every chain, God. And I just pray today that we can believe in the spirit, believe in our hearts, God, that you are enough, that you have a plan for us, you have a direction for us, God. And Jesus, I just pray today for those of us God, they're in this room right now. You're saying, I want to just, I'm dedicating my life to you, Jesus. Maybe it's a rededication. Maybe you've been running. Maybe you've been hiding. Jesus, today I pray for that person. That they just would feel your spirit afresh, God. Pour on them afresh. I just thank you for your life-changing word, God. Relevant 4,000 years to the day. God, help us to receive this word. Come on, let's clap our hands. Hey, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to that message. We hope that you were encouraged and inspired. If you made a decision to follow Jesus or you want to find out more about our church, why don't you head over to kingdomchurch.ca. We would love to get in contact with you. Until next time, take care.